The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So today it really does feel like summer. Um, it feels like summer is in full swing. Uh, just this past week, it was the first week kids were out of school, uh, which was, you know, a kid's best dream and parents' often worst nightmare. Kids are home. And uh, what was so beautiful about this past week is that we had a number of our students, uh, so 11, 13, 15, 17-year-olds, who spent the first week of their summer leaving home and going to Puerto Rico, mostly in San Juan, to serve and to spend the first week of their summer vacation helping out people who had just experienced tremendous loss. Uh, Some have lost family members who have moved away, gone to some new place. Some had to go months without power. Uh, And so we got to go in and see our students, our kids, leverage their first week of summer uh, for the sake of the gospel and telling this great news to the people of Puerto Rico and living that out as we helped out in people's homes and spent time with children. Another way that it feels like summer's in full swing is that it's, it's Father's Day. Father's Day is a, is a classic summer holiday, and when I think of Father's Day, it took on a brand new meaning when I became a father a couple of years ago, and I always celebrated Father's Day as a kid. You know, you, your parents give you money to buy a gift for your dad, which is kind of ironic, right? So you get a gift for your dad and celebrate Father's and that's what it was as a kid, but then when you become a father, it changes the game for you. It's something different and unique. And uh, when I think of being a father, there's a picture that comes to mind that I want to show you. And so check out this picture here, and I'll explain what it is. So uh, on the left, that's my son Hudson, my wife Amy and I's son Hudson. Uh, And uh, on the right, that's me. And so we staged this picture, uh, essentially trying to do basically the same environment, same setting, little towel. And uh, so we tried to just do this, and we gave this as a gift to my parents. And so this picture, what I love most about it, is that when I'm looking at this picture, I can see in my son features and things that I'm like, I know where you got that. (laughs) I know where that comes from. And as parents, part of the journey of of raising children is you have these moments where you see, oh my goodness, I I know where that comes from. I can see that, that expression. Sometimes it's for better or for worse, right? Sometimes it's, oh, I know where that comes from. And other times it's, oh, I know where you got that from, right? There's, there's those different moments. But as a parent, you can see in your children features and aspects that you know came from you. Now, the reason I bring that up is that throughout this summer, we're studying the fruit of the Spirit, this list of virtues, and really one of the ways that you can think of this passage that we're spending the entire summer breaking down is you can almost view it as though it's a picture of who God is. It's a picture This is what God is like. He is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. This is who God is. And what we're aiming to do in our study of these virtues, of the fruit of the Spirit, we're aiming to see and ask the question, what would it look like if these virtues began to take root in our lives in such a way that God would look at us and say, hey, I know where that comes from. That's me at work in you, that love, that joy, peace, patience, all of that, that is me at work in you. And so with that in mind, would you look with me? Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. We'll read kind of the whole passage together and zone in on that list of the fruit of the Spirit. So look with me at verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not, uh, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So in that passage, we come across this battle that's taking place in the heart of every Christian. In this corner over here, you've got the flesh. And he starts out by describing what the flesh is. And in the New Testament... That word flesh is often used to describe the, the sinful, selfish desires of fallen mankind. Right, you don't have to be a parent for long to notice that your children are born with a self-centered mentality. Constantly, everything is mine. We don't want to share. Don't have this desire to care for others, right? We all are born into this thing called sin. So the desires of the flesh, he goes on and lists all that that is. So on this corner, you've got the flesh. And in this corner, you've got the spirit. And the spirit here being described uh, is the Holy Spirit. Now, what's important is, is as we study throughout this summer, the, the fruit of the spirit, it's important to have in mind who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not the force or an energy. He's not that tingly feeling you get. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is part of the Trinity. He is the third person of the Trinity, distinct from the Son and the Father, and yet one. There's one God who's always existed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit plays an integral role in the daily life of a follower of Jesus. I want to show you what Jesus says about the Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7. Here's what Jesus says about the Spirit. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus makes an astonishing claim to his disciples. His friends that he spent considerable time with, he's saying, it's to your advantage that I ascend to heaven and leave you. Because when I ascend, I'm going to send my spirit and he will guide you. He will help you. He's the advocate. He's the comforter. He's the one who will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's the one who will direct your steps. He's the one who, according to Galatians 5, produces these fruit of the Spirit in us. And so there's this battle taking place, the flesh versus the Spirit, and he lists the works of the flesh, our activity. In those verses in 19 through 21, he lists all sorts of different works of the flesh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and on and on. And then he lists the fruit of the Spirit, this list of things. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about the first one. Pastor Frank talked about how the first fruit of the Spirit is love. He talked about how Jesus commands love and he shows us how love is costly and how it is customary in the life of a follower of Jesus. And so today we're taking a look at the second one, joy. What does it mean that 
joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, let's define joy just kind of fundamentally, just to get us all on the same page. The idea of joy being described here is this state of delight, to be glad. So, a fruit of the Spirit, God's activity in the life of one of his followers is he is bringing about this state of gladness and joy. Now, to frame our time, I want to give you a statement that I'd love for you to write down, take some notes, put this down in your bulletin. There's a place to take notes uh, in, in the notes tab online. Write these notes down. Here's the first statement. I just want this to frame the rest of our time, and hopefully this helps solidify what it means that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Here it is. It's that God is working in you to produce increasing joy in him. God is working in you to produce increasing joy in him. And if we could kind of then take that statement and think about what does that teach us about God and what does it teach us about joy, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, here's what this then teaches us. Number one, this teaches us that God is for our joy. If God is working in us to produce increasing joy in him, then what's pretty clear is that God is for your joy. Now that might seem, seem obvious. Why this is critical is that it's tempting to go about your life viewing God and specifically his commands and his purposes for our lives to view his law, to view his expressed will for our lives as some straitjacket that's limiting our fun. I, I remember as a kid having seasons where my view of the Bible and my view of God's commands is it's this list of can'ts. You can't do this and you better not do that and you won't do this. And I see a whole bunch of other people doing the very thing that the Bible seems to be saying not to do and they seem to be having fun. And so we can have this view that God is not for our joy in fact, God seems to be, we can believe this, that God seems to be for us just not having fun in life. And if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, then that quite simply means that God is like this tree, the Spirit is like this tree that is bearing fruit, and the fruit that God bears in the life of one of his followers is joy. God is committed to your joy. Know that. Now, uh, when I was a kid, we had several mango trees in one of the homes we lived in. And I remember the misery of the season, the stretch of time when mangoes would just be falling by the dozens every day. And so I'd go out with my sister and my parents sometimes. And, uh, you know, sometimes I wasn't so good at keeping up with my chores. And so I'd get in trouble. But anyways, I'd go out with this massive wheelbarrow and we'd go and we'd get all of the mangoes off of the floor because if they stayed too long on the floor... Uh, bugs would come, birds would eat them, and you know, no pesticides. These were organic mangoes, okay? So I remember picking them up, and uh, that, that season was miserable for me because, number one, it was hard labor. Number two, it was gross when I had to pick up like a soggy, half-eaten mango that had bugs all over. And then third, I may be the only Cuban in the world that hates mangoes. So I didn't even get to enjoy the fruit of my labor, pun intended, okay? So I, I had to go through this experience, but then what would happen afterwards... It's typically a longer stretch of time where the trees showed no visible fruit at all. I mean, there would be stretches of time, an entire season, when you could look at those mango trees and you wouldn't be able to even distinguish that it's a mango tree unless you knew how a mango tree looked without fruit. Now, Jesus uses this metaphor of fruit often when describing what God does through his followers. And Paul employs this metaphor of fruit as well to describe what the Spirit produces in us. And here's what I'll say about the fruit of the Spirit. 
there are seasons in our lives when the fruit will be evident, where you'll be able to see it. Wow, God, you are, you are at work. I feel like I could just see how you've matured me, how I'm growing in love, how I'm growing in joy, and I'm growing in peace. I even got this difficult thing happening in my life, and I, I feel your presence. So there's seasons when the joy is really clear, when the fruit can be visibly seen, but there's other seasons. And sometimes there are longer stretches where all the activity... Where it seems like there's nothing that you can visibly latch onto and say, ha, ah, I could see. But here's what we know about science and biology is that even when the tree doesn't look like it's bearing fruit, you can be sure of this, that tree is getting ready for the next harvest. It's preparing itself to give way to more fruit. God never ceases to keep working in our hearts even when it doesn't seem like he's visibly active. He is for your joy. He is producing joy in your heart. God is working in you to produce increasing joy in him. And when you believe this, and when I believe this, this will absolutely transform the way we view God's commands and his law. This book is filled with hundreds of commands and hundreds of laws. And the enemy and our world would teach us that these commands and these laws are a straitjacket. They're meant to just keep you from having life They're meant to just keep you out of having the kind of joy that the world has to offer. And when we start to believe this truth that, no, God is actually for my joy, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, then my view of God's law changes entirely. Look at verse 23 closely. Verse 23, after he lists the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, he says this phrase that's so easy to skip over, but if we were to ponder the implications of this phrase, this would transform the way you view God's law. Here's what he says. He says, after saying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, he says, against such things there is no law. Here's what I would say. If you're here and you're someone who's a follower of Jesus or watching online and you're a follower of Jesus or you're here or watching online and you're someone who's kind of skeptical, or you're somewhere in the between. You don't even know where you fall, wherever you're at. If I was to say to you, hey, here's an offer of life that's full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these faithfulness. If I was to say, hey, you could have this, all of us would be in. I'd say, I want that. Like that, that that's for me. There, there are very few people who say, yeah, I, I really don't want to be loved. I, I would prefer actually to be miserable and I'd prefer to have chaos rather than peace. Like th- that's no one. We all want in on that. And so here's what the apostle says. He gives us this list of the fruit of the Spirit, and then he says, against such things. So take joy, for instance. There is not a single law or command in the Scriptures that would keep you from joy. Not a single one that's going to prevent you from joy. In fact, quite the inverse. That God's commands and his purposes for our lives are an invitation into joy. So when we believe the gospel, when we acknowledge the fact that this list, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not called the works of the flesh here. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, it's not like our works. This is God's activity in us. Because here's what the gospel teaches. We can't attain to that list. That picture of who God is, if we were to frame ourselves next to who God is, if in our own strength we're striving to look like him, we fail every time. 
And so God sent forth his son Jesus who perfectly imaged and perfectly represented his character and nature. God himself in the flesh come to us. And Jesus perfectly fulfills all of the laws. Perfectly fulfills all the righteous requirements of the law. And he dies a sinner's death on the cross. He takes the judgment for our sin and he rises up from the grave and he invites us to receive his forgiveness and his grace, to be adopted into God's family. That's what Jesus does for us. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we admit, I'm not good enough, I don't measure up, I need grace, I need your forgiveness, Jesus, then all of a sudden our relationship with the law, our relationship with God's commands have completely changed. Now no longer do I see God's commands as this unbearable burden that I could never dare to attain as this list of rules that I'll never measure up to. No longer do I view them like that. But when I've believed the gospel that says I'm already accepted in Christ, now my relationship to the law is, no, my heavenly father has already accepted me. He's already called me his child. And now he invites me into a life of joy, trusting that his plans and purposes, his commands for my life are for my good and for his glory. So we trust that his commands His word is for our joy. God is committed to your joy. He's for your joy. God is working in you to produce increasing joy in him. And so the question we then ought to ask is what kind of joy are we talking about? Here's the second reality. If that's what that truth teaches us about God, here's what that teaches us about joy. The second truth is that true joy is found in God. This is the joy he's referring to, joy that is found in God. God himself. Now, just like last week, if you were here, we we kind of laughed at how often we use the word love in a a number of different ways. It's almost comical how many different ways we use the word love. And we use the word joy oftentimes in a number of different ways as well. Uh, And so this past week, on one day in particular, um, I believe it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday, just a few days ago. We had finished our morning working with the children Uh, In fact, I have a picture here that'll show you a little bit about what that looked like. So here is us after teaching them about the parable of the prodigal son. The father welcomes his son back, not with condemnation, but by welcoming his open arms and throwing him a party. So that's us throwing a party to demonstrate the father accepting us. And so there was absolute joyful chaos in there. And so after we had that experience, some of us went into people's homes and got to pray with families, give them school supplies got to share the gospel through some really clever uh, little doll that one of our church members gave to us to bring with us. And so we got to spend some time there, but then afterwards we had plans to go to the University of Puerto Rico to go spend some time with college students. But turns out things change and that's okay. And so what ends up happening is we, uh, we get that plan canceled. There's no students there. School is out of session. And so we find ourselves driving. It's around dinner time, and we pass by this restaurant that I've eaten at before. Totally, I did not expect to see it, but I've eaten at this restaurant before, and I, in my mind, I'm like, stop the bus, okay? So this, uh, this place, it's called Raices, and it's known for its mofongo. Now, uh, if you don't know what mofongo is, mofongo is like Puerto Rican magic, okay? It is mashed plantains, seasoned to perfection. I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing. And this place just has the best stuff. And so here's a picture of me at this place, okay? Check this out. All right? That is sheer joy, okay? I don't know any other word to describe that moment 
other than sheer joy, I was like, I remember what you were like. You know, like, this is this moment for me. And so we shared a bunch of different kinds and had just this really sweet ending to our day. Now, I would use the word joy in that instance. I would use the word joy if I find out uh, that something happened in my family, get a good doctor's report from someone that we were concerned about. You might use the word joy if you got a promotion at work or you find out your child made the honor roll. Uh, you might use the word joy when you enter into a new relationship or you get engaged. That's, that's when you might use the word joy. Now, the question we need to ask is, is this the joy that's being described here when the Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is joy? Is the joy he has in mind something on the outside, some experience, some circumstance that brings us kind of this moment of happiness? If that's what, is that what he's talking about? And if that's what he was talking about, then Paul would be very hypocritical. And here's why. The one who's writing this letter is one who, later on, he concludes the letter by describing to them the scars that he carries on his body for telling people about Jesus. This person who's writing is often in prison, often falsely accused, publicly shamed and mocked, run out of cities, kicked out. He's been whipped and beaten and people hurling rocks at him. Uh, there's been times when he's been on the run for his very life. And so surely Paul can't be speaking of this kind of joy where things in your life just kind of will happen to go well around you. It's not just like life is an endless supply of mofongos, okay? That's not what he's getting at. That would be great. Uh, but he's describing a different kind of joy. He's describing not a joy we get from the outside in. He's describing a joy that God produces in us from the inside out. This joy that is found in God. Now, how can we describe what this joy is like? I want to give you a formula and uh, for, my, for my kids, for my students who you just got out of school, you're like, yes, no, you know, no math, no school. Here's a formula for you, so just for you, equation. Here you go. Here's the first part of the equation I want you to think of. The finished work of Christ. So if you're writing notes, write that down. The finished work of Christ. Here's the question. How do we grow in this joy? What is the joy he's describing? Here's the first part of it. The finished work of Christ. I want to read this to you from John chapter 19, verse 30. This is... During Jesus' passion, Jesus is giving his life in this moment. He's about to die. And in John 19, verse 30, here's what Jesus says. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So here's Jesus in his final moments. He's hanging on a cross, nails pierced through his hands and legs. He's got a crown of thorns. He's bleeding out, about to lose his life. And he says something that's very odd to say while you're hanging on a cross. He says, it is finished. Now, it is finished is something I would say after I finished a degree. When I finished my, my studies. In fact, some of our high school kids, we celebrated, they finished their high school tenure, they finished their senior year. They might say, it is finished, right? Thank you, Jesus, it is finished. We might say, it is finished when we've completed a, a marathon and you finally crossed the finish line, you've gone 26.2 miles. You say, oh, it is finished, I've accomplished it. But it's a very odd thing while you're hanging on a cross, being publicly mocked and shamed and humiliated, what would be the low point of anyone else's life? It's a very odd thing to say, it is finished. I've done what I set out to do. I've accomplished my purpose. 
It's a very strange thing for Jesus to say, but the reason he says it is because in that moment, Jesus is accomplishing for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves, that though we stand condemned before God because we don't measure up, though each of us are imperfect, though each of us have rejected God's good design and we are flawed and broken, Jesus in that moment says, I'll take that for you. I'll take your punishment. I'll die in your place. I'll give my life for yours. And so Jesus on the cross absorbs the full punishment that our sin deserves and in his death brings us life. And then three days later, he rises up from the grave. And so here's what happened in that moment. Jesus taking on the full weight of our sin gives us a brand new identity. It's not just that God's redemption for you is that he gives you a blank slate. He doesn't just forgive you of your sin, although that would be great. He then takes that blank slate and he clothes you in the righteousness of Christ so that you receive the perfect record of Jesus. So as God looks at you, he delights in his child. He delights in the perfection of his son that was, that was sent for you in your place. And so Jesus accomplishes for us this brand new identity. When he says it is finished, it means God is never finished with you. No matter what you've done or what's in your past, he has given you a new identity he has given you a brand new name. You are his. You're cherished. This is the finished work of Christ. It is done. Your identity is settled. You don't have to strive any longer. It is finished. So this moment in the life of Jesus, this is reason enough for us to have joy because something has been secured for us in our past that nothing can stop and nothing can take away from us. The finished work of Christ. But that's not the only thing that gives us joy. The second thing that gives us joy is our future glory with Christ. Our future glory with Christ. So the finished work of Christ plus our future glory with Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, here's what the apostle John records. He says this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. These are the words of Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So the Bible concludes with this promise from our Savior that I am returning. John gets this astounding vision, this incredible vision of what the future will look like. And the book of Revelation, it's, it's not so much this book of future events that's supposed to help us to predict the exact day and time when this is going to happen and this is going to happen. That's not what it was written for. Revelation is this gift to the church at the time in which they were suffering immensely for their faith, and Revelation offers us this incredible hope as he paints a picture of the future glory that waits for Christians, of the glory that is to come. And so Jesus then says, I will wipe away every tear from your eye. Heaven is this place where we'll be united with our Savior forever. No disease, no hurt, no pain. No sin, no brokenness, everything restored in perfect unity will be with him forever in glory. And he says, surely I am coming soon. And the apostle John responds with a cry that Christians throughout the centuries have repeated over and over and over and over. The Aramaic line, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord, this desire in us, we long to be united with our Savior. We want him. This is the future glory that he has promised us. And so here's what this means. If we have the finished work of Christ that is settled in our past, 
He has adopted you. He's given you a new name. You're forgiven. You are made new. If that's the finished work of Christ in the past and we have the future glory with Christ that's to come, then here's how the formula concludes. The finished work of Christ plus our future glory with Christ equals present joy in Christ. That no matter what's happening around you, notice there's no circumstance that comes to bear on that equation. There's nothing that could happen outside of you that can rob you of what has already been accomplished for you through the finished work of Christ. And there's nothing that can get in the way of the future glory he's promised you with Christ. So that means right now, in this moment, whether life feels great or life feels awful, I can have present joy in Christ. I want to read this for you. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Same author, the Apostle Paul, says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now that command to rejoice always is impossible if it weren't for the Spirit of God. To rejoice always is is a command that no matter what's happening around you, you are to find joy. The only way you can give that as a command is if there was a joy that existed there's something available to humanity that doesn't depend on what's happening outside of you. That doesn't depend on your health situation or it doesn't depend on whether or not your children are succeeding in life. It doesn't depend on whether or not family unity is existing. It doesn't depend on your work situation. There's a joy available to us that's rooted in the finished work of Christ and the future glory we have with Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, I have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. The finished work of Christ will rule my life. And then in the letter to the Romans, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this world are as nothing compared to the future glory that's to come. He had this mindset. And this past week, as we were on this mission trip with middle and high school students, young people, We're we're having these moments where uh, at the end of each day, we reflect on the day. There are team meetings, and it became an ongoing joke throughout the week because we'd start the meetings like something like this. We'd say, all right, guys, hey, tonight's going to be real quick because we want to get to bed on time, and so uh, we just want to let you know. And so two hours later, we're still going. And so we just decided no more time limits. And so we're having these team meetings, and someone from the team shares a a devotional, so a student or a parent would share something from scripture and then open it up for discussion. And people began to share what they experienced that day. And students and parents began to be vulnerable around each other and share, hey, this is what God is teaching me. This is what I saw. This is how uh, I was impacted. And we just start sharing. And what was evident in that place as we're circled in this very hot breezeway, we're standing there, in a place uh, where we were lodging, by the way, where there was very little from the outside in from which we could draw joy. Uh, Air mattresses and cold showers and overcrowded lodging. There was very little from the outside in to draw joy from, and yet the joy in that space was tangible. We just wanted that to come back with us. And what a mission trip really is all about is we're intentionally setting aside a week to center ourselves on living and proclaiming the finished work of Christ and our future glory with Christ and making that known. And that's what we set out to do. And the joy among our team, we were all like, I want this back home. And the great news is, we don't have to be in a specific geographic location in order to experience that kind of joy. 
we can center our lives on this good news wherever we are. And so what I saw in our team is this beautiful picture of this truth that God is working in us to produce increasing joy in him. This truth that God is for our joy and that true joy is found in God. And the way we experience that joy in God is the Holy Spirit magnifies the finished work of Christ. And he makes evident, he makes it big, our future glory with Christ so that we can have present joy in Christ. Now here's what this means for how we live. I want you to think about right now for a moment. I want you to evaluate your life. Think about your last several weeks. Think about your, your last year. And ask yourself the question, if you're a professing Christian, is your life, could you define it, could you characterize it by having this kind of joy? Does joy define your life? Now, there may be seasons where it's more visible, and there are other seasons where it must be more underneath the surface, but is your life characterized by joy? And then more specifically, can you tell from where is it that you are drawing your joy? What are you looking to for joy? Is it your work success? Is it your success as a student? Is it your following on social media? What is it that you're looking to to find joy? Is it the success of your children and how they do and banking your identity on how well they succeed? Are are you drawing your joy from something on the outside in? Because here's the danger. When you're experiencing suffering or pain, when on the outside in, there's, not, there's nothing to cling to, it's so easy to fall into despair. You can begin to, get to think that God doesn't care about you, that God has abandoned you, that God doesn't want to help you, and you can start to find yourself in this place. There's nothing from which to grab onto that can bring you joy, and a joyless person, that's a very scary place to be. And then if you're experiencing comfort, if you're looking to the outside to find your joy and your life is good, you've got success and your family's doing well and your kids are succeeding and in school you're doing great and you've got mofongo for dinner. You're like life is great. If everything is going swimmingly, there is danger in that all of a sudden it's so easy to forget we still need God. It's so tempting to say and find joy in all of these things that we can then grow entitled and think we deserve them, we worked for those, we earned those, and we forget our dependence on God and grow proud. See, when we look to the outside to find our joy, it's dangerous when we're in moments of suffering and pain, and it's dangerous when life is abounding in blessings because we're tempted to find our joy simply in the blessing rather than in the one who blessed us. See, what it means to follow Jesus is that God is more for your joy than he is for your comfort in your circumstances. He's more for your joy. The fruit of the Spirit, what's not listed here is a comfortable lifestyle. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. He's more for your joy than he is for your comfort in your circumstances. And so what that means then is that there will be times when God, because he loves you, And times when God, because he loves me, will remove things from our lives that we are trying to latch onto for joy. And he'll take those away and it'll hurt because he wants to show us that the joy he offers is far greater because he loves us and wants us to see that he is enough. 
that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift and that all of the gifts and blessings we do have, and they're many, that they're meant and given to us so that we might reflect them up to God and say, thank you. God is for your joy and true joy is found in him. Know that. I wanna give you some homework. The, the interesting thing about studying the fruit of the spirit is that it's hard to apply them because again, we're saying this is what God does, not what we do. And so what does it look like to try and put this practically into our lives? So I wanna give you this homework this week. Spend some time as a family. Get together with someone from your community group, maybe, especially since community groups aren't in season right now. Find a friend. Read it to your children. Open up to the Gospel of John. Read chapters 19 and 20 this week. Meditate on the finished work of Christ. Those two chapters, John 19 and 20, describe the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord, his finished work for you. Spend time this week praying through, reading, considering his finished work, the new identity he's given you. And then... Spend some time this week reflecting on the future glory you have with Christ. Revelation chapter 21 through 22, paint this beautiful, vivid picture of our future glory with our Savior. Spend some time this week. Talk to your children about it. Kids, talk to your parents about it. Spend time reflecting and praying through and asking the Spirit of God. Say, Spirit, grow in me. Magnify in my heart and in my soul the immensity of your finished work and the glory that is to come. And watch as God begins to stir in you the joy that he guarantees to produce in us until one day we meet him in glory and he holds the picture side by side and he can say, I know where that came from. That was me. And now look at you. That's the glory that God promises. Particularly on my heart right now are the people who come today and if you're honest, there is no visible reason for you to have joy. Uh, someone looking on the outside in, they would have no reason to think you're experiencing joy. And all my heart today is that you, you would have just a taste, a greater taste of his finished work and the future glory he has for you. Christian friends, Christian brothers and sisters, West Pines, God is working in you to produce increasing joy in him. Non-Christian friends, this is the invitation that God has for you. Whether you came in here with a past that you would be scared to even mention to someone, you come in here and you're skeptical, well, you came in skeptical about all of this, but right now you realize that you have a Father in heaven who on this Father's Day is reaching out to you and is inviting you to turn to him. He's inviting you to realize he is for your joy. He's calling you to find that joy in him and begin the journey, begin the journey of experiencing the present joy in Christ. What that looks like is to turn from our sins and to turn towards our savior, Jesus, the one who died for you and gave his life for you. And if that's the decision you're ready to make today, I wanna to invite you to turn to him right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Take a quiet moment right now, even now, And if today, this is your moment, this is your moment where you're realizing, Jesus, I need you. I want to turn from my sins. I realize that I don't measure up, but that you still love me and you came for me, and so I'm turning to you. Then right now, where you are, you can express that to God. Here's what God calls you to do. He says, confess me as Lord. 
Say to me, I'm in charge. Say to Jesus, you're the master, you're the Lord. And to believe he died for you and he rose from the grave. Say to Jesus, I give you my all. Just call out to him right there in your seat. Say, Jesus, I need you. I put my trust in you. Help me to follow you with my life. I lay down my desires and I take up yours. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Jesus, thank you so much that you sent your spirit, which is to our advantage. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're with us, that you guide us. And we thank you how you produce in us these character traits of who you are. And so I pray right now, even today, as we've reflected on the finished work of Christ and the future glory we have with Christ, I pray even now, especially for those who walk in today with hurt and pain and suffering and loss and tragedy, Lord, would you fill them with your joy? We can rejoice in the Lord always because no matter what, no matter what's happening around us, can't mess with what you've already settled for us in the past, your finished work, and what you've promised for our future, this future glory. We thank you for this promise, Jesus. We give you all the praise and all the glory. May we be a people and a church characterized by your joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.